Well, there is uh, an old saying that uh, says this, where God guides, he provides. Where he leads, he meets needs. And all God's people said, yes, amen. That's the God that we believe in. I want you to notice how balanced this truth is. There's a promise here, isn't there? God has the resources to provide for our needs and to meet our needs. Uh, Philippians 4.19 puts it this way, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, it was interesting, in the early days of Dallas Seminary, they were uh, at a point in their ministry where they were about $10,000 short. Now back in the uh, 30s and 40s, that was a lot of money. And so they called a prayer meeting. Uh, on the faculty, uh, as a visiting professor, was the renowned pastor, Harry Ironside. And in that prayer meeting, he prayed and he said, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you sell some of those cattle and help us to meet this need? Now we know God can do that, don't we? He's fully capable of doing that. In fact, uh, would you believe, just days prior, there was a cattleman who had sold some cattle, and uh, he put a check in the mail to the seminary, and that check was on its way at the very time that Pastor Ironside prayed that prayer. God is a God who is capable of providing and meeting needs. We call that His providence. But I want you to notice in this saying there's also a condition. And that condition is He must be leading and He must be guiding, right? That's clearly the condition. Uh, God's provision cannot be presumed upon if we are not following His leading. Now, today we've been singing about how God is such a great guide, how He's a strong deliverer, how He is a shield, and He is our strength. But we have to meet those conditions if He is going to be that kind of a God for us. Now, this morning we are uh, coming to Ruth chapter 3. And what we're going to examine today is God's conditions for His provision. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. And I want to begin this morning by reading just verse 1. And I want you to notice how this really wonderful and amazing chapter begins. Here's what the scripture says. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, Ruth, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you? Uh, if you look down at the NIV text note, it says, should I not try to find rest for you? That's going to be very significant as we compare this to Ruth's prayer earlier in chapter 1. And then notice how she uh, finishes this question. Where you will be well provided for. Now, rarely is the theme of a chapter of Scripture found in the opening verse. But here it is. It is very clear 
that the whole theme of this chapter is the provision of God. In fact, as we begin to study the details of the chapter, we discover that there is a very key principle that God is teaching us. And it really is the same principle in the saying that I mentioned to you this morning. God provides when we meet His conditions. Now, this morning, uh, as we look at this passage, we discover there are four conditions that we have to meet if God is going to indeed provide for our needs and guide us in the way that He wants to. This morning, there's so much here in the opening five verses. We're going to look at the first one. And then in a subsequent Sunday, we will pick up the rest. Let's take a moment, shall we? And let's just bow our hearts in prayer and ask the Lord uh, to help us to be the kind of people He wants us to be, that His provision may be abundant in our lives. Lord God, uh, today we have sung some wonderful truths about You. We have called You our guide. We have said that You are a, a shield, that You are our strength. We have described you as a very strong deliverer. And now, Lord, we come to your word. And as we sang so wonderfully, here are truths that are unchanged from the dawn of time, found for us in this wonderful Old Testament book. And so today, we just quiet our hearts before you. We look deep into your word. And we ask that you may give us minds to understand, hearts to respond, wills to obey, that you may be pleased to pour out on us all the blessing that we can contain. So we ask these things in the name of our wonderful Savior. Amen. Let's notice, first of all, this first condition that we have to meet. And that is, God expects us to plan in His will. Now let me read for you uh, just verses 1 through 5, and you follow along as I read. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winging barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Now, as we've been studying Ruth, we have learned that Ruth had three very critical needs. These needs were critical if, indeed, her family was to survive. And so the book unfolds how these needs were provided by the Lord. Uh, She needed food because she was too poor and there was no effective means of getting a job. And so that need is resolved in chapter 2. She needed safety. Because she was a vulnerable widow without a husband or a father living in very violent times. And that was also resolved in chapter 2. Now the third and perhaps the most difficult need of all is she needs a future husband who can work the family land 
and uh, provide a son that will keep the family from perpetual poverty. Now for Ruth, this really was truly a need. It was absolutely a necessity if indeed she was to survive along with Naomi and not to sell all that they had. So now as we come to uh, chapter 3, we discover that Naomi begins to plan to discover how she can meet this need. Uh, By the way, the words that I've just read, uh, don't they look like a scheme to uh, trap a husband? Don't they? I mean, doesn't it look like uh, Naomi is saying to Ruth, I want you to get all gussied up, and I want you to do your very best as you put your best foot forward, and we'll see if you can sort of trap a husband. Uh, That's Hollywood thinking for you, isn't it? Actually, what is going on here is Naomi is planning to accomplish God's will. Now, let me just say to us today that uh, we often make two errors. One is sometimes we think that all planning is the result of human wisdom and therefore is unspiritual. And so as a result of that, we set no goals or we set no plans. But the opposite error is equally as bad, and that is we think that our planning and our wisdom can do it without God. And so we fail to depend upon the Holy Spirit, and we fail to pray. But the truth in the Scriptures is a wonderful balance. Absolutely, we must depend upon the Holy Spirit, and we must pray. Uh, Go back to chapter 1 for just a moment. And let me remind you of the early prayer of Naomi on behalf of her daughters-in-law. Look at verse 9. In the original language of the Bible, this is a prayer. And notice what she says. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And so here she is praying and depending upon God. But now, let's go over to chapter 3 again. And notice she says, Should I not try to find, and you'll notice that it is rest for you, the very same thing that she prayed in chapter 1, verse 9. So here is this very, very beautiful balance. Uh, We are to pray and depend upon the Holy Spirit, but when we know what the will of God is, then God expects us to plan to do it. Uh, Let me just drop this in this morning. We need to understand here a very important principle. It is the job of all leaders to pray, to discern the will of God, and then to begin to plan towards what God has shown He wants us to do. So good leaders do these things. They pray in dependence upon God. Then as He leads, they discern His will. And then recognizing His will, they begin to plan to implement what God wants them to do. 
Notice here how Naomi has lost all of her bitterness. She is now back to trusting God and believing in His goodness. And now here in chapter 3, she begins to plan in His will because she believes God will provide. By the way, what a plan. Verse 1 is a statement of the problem. Uh, You need a husband and a home. Verse 2 is a summary of the facts. Uh, Boaz is a kinsman of ours. He's going to be down uh, at the threshing floor tonight. And then verses 3 through 4 is a detailed prescription of the procedure. You know what I call this? I call this Leadership 101. That's what I call this. Verse 1, here's a statement of the problem. Verse 2, here's a summary of the facts. Verses 3 to 5, here's a detailed prescription of the procedure. This woman is a very sharp woman. Giving you ladies all all kinds of opportunities in this series to say amen. All right. Now here's the question. How do we know what God's plan is? That's a critical issue. Now there are three questions that every human plan must ask to know if it's God's will. You see, the great danger is substituting our plans for God's plans. Do you know these questions come right out of the text? How wonderful is the Word of God? We don't have to make up these questions. We don't have to contrive these questions. Here they are, right in Scripture. So let's spend a few moments looking together at how we can know whether our plans are God's plans. Here are three essential questions we must ask. Here's the first one. What does Scripture say? Does that surprise you this morning? No. This is so very vital. If it is not according to Scripture, it is not God's plan. Now, in this opening question that Naomi asks, it is a rhetorical question. Should I not try to find rest for you in a home of a husband where you will be well provided for? That's a rhetorical question. But if Ruth were to answer the question, she would have said, of course that's what you are to do. You see, God had, pro- had promised His people abundant descendants through their ancestor Abraham. Remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will make of you a very great nation. Now the hope of every Jewish woman was that God would so bless her that she would participate in this great nation. And in the Jewish culture, it was the job of the parents to arrange a marriage to perpetuate the family line. But obviously we here we have a complication. Ruth was a childless widow. And she was also a Moabite. So how in the world is this going to be resolved? Where this is where Naomi's knowledge of Scripture is remarkable. 
When she says that Boaz is a kinsman, she is thinking of Leviticus 25. I want you to turn back there for just a moment. And I want you to notice what she understands from God's Word. Look at Leviticus 25, and notice with me verses 23 through 25. Listen to what God says. The land must not be sold permanently, because the land is mine, and you are but aliens and my tenants. Throughout the country that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. Now notice this. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countrymen has sold. What we find in chapter 4 is Naomi is in this very situation. She's going to have to sell some of her land and lose the inheritance that God had provided for her family. So now she understands from Leviticus 25 that the Bible says she can call on a kinsman to come and redeem that property, buy it, so that it is not lost from the family inheritance. But there's more. She also understands Deuteronomy 25. Take your Bibles and turn there for just a moment to Deuteronomy 25. And let me read for you verses 5 through 9. How wonderful it is to see a, a woman who knows the Word of God and stands upon it and therefore can plan according to Scripture. Look at what it says, Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Why? Well, because the inheritance then would be lost outside the family. So her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. The elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsanded. Wow! God took this very, very seriously. Now, Boaz is not a brother. But as a relative, a, co a cousin, it is clear that he was able to perform the duty of what we know here 
as Leverite marriage. So what we discover here is Naomi is not scheming. She is acting on the authority of Scripture. God is in this entire plan. There's a British pastor and Christian leader who made a very wonderful statement, and I love this statement. His name is Pastor David Jackman, and listen to what he said. We never work for our good when we set aside Scripture. We need to be governed by God's own Word because it is the expression of His character which is the greatest and ultimate reality. And all God's people said this morning, absolutely. Where is ultimate reality found? It is found right here. And in all of our planning and preparing for life and ministry, the question that comes first must always be, what does the Scripture say? And when the Scripture is clear and we are planning according to the Scripture, then we can say we are in tune with the greatest and ultimate reality and therefore God is leading. Amen this morning? Amen. Now let's ask the second question. Second question that flows out of this text is what do God's authorities say? What do God's authorities say? Now God has established a principle that He leads through the authorities that He sets up. In a country, that is through the rulers He has established. In a family, that is through the parents. In a church, it is through the pastors and the elders. Now the Bible teaches us this, leaders who abuse their authority should be resisted and even disobeyed. Uh, Peter said in Acts 4.19, we must obey God rather than men. So when leaders are abusing their authority going against scripture, we resist them. We are even called on to disobey them. But leaders who are following God's will and are godly leaders are to be respected and honored. Uh, turn with me, if you would, for just a moment to another comment that Peter made in 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. And again, you see the beautiful balance in the Word of God. In Acts 4.19, Peter says, if leaders are abusing their authority, he says, we're to obey God rather than man. But now in uh, 1 Peter 5, uh, after describing the uh, elders who are leading the congregation, in verse 5, notice what he says, if you have godly pastors and elders, look at verse 5 of 1 Peter 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And then even if you're not young, uh, and even if you are a leader, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, and then notice why. Because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. 
So notice here the other side of this. God blesses when we respect and we submit to godly leadership. Uh, Peter says, He will give us His grace. Now, go back to Ruth chapter 3 for just a moment. And I want us to, just a minute, examine the conversation between Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is the older mother-in-law. She is the authority in the home. And these words that we read in verses uh, 1 through 5, there are 55 words in the original language that Naomi speaks in verses 1 to 5. Ruth, she's the younger daughter-in-law who is under Naomi's leadership. She speaks four words. Look down at verse 5. Ruth responds to 55 words of instruction. I will do whatever you say in the Hebrew Bible. It is four simple words. In fact, uh, the, the word for all in the original language is first in the Hebrew sentence indicating she will follow Naomi's counsel to the letter. Now as we've been reading through the book, we have seen this is Ruth's attitude wherever we look. Let's go back to chapter 2 for just a moment and notice uh, again uh, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. And you want to say, well, you're a grown woman. You got empty cupboards. You're going to starve to death. What are you doing asking this woman if you can go out? Notice she does. And notice what happens in the next part of the verse. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. This has been Ruth's attitude wherever we have looked. Naomi is a godly authority counseling according to Scripture, and so Ruth obeys. It is always one of the critical questions we must ask when we are planning in God's will. First of all, what does Scripture say? Secondly, what do God's authorities say? When I was 32 years of age, I asked Ellen if uh, she would marry me. Now, at the age of 32, I did not need to get permission, all right? I was old enough. But she was living at home, and she was living under the leadership of her parents. And I respected her father as an upright godly Christian man. And I want to say to you today, I wanted to be on good terms with a man like that. And so I asked his permission. Uh, he was a church custodian. I went to the church. He was working in the men's room that day. Uh, how you like to ask for your uh, beloved's hand in the men's room? So we stepped outside the men's room, and I said to uh, Mr. Wheeler, 
Mr. Wheeler, I've come to love your daughter in this last year, and I would like to ask for her hand in marriage. He said to me, you may marry her under one condition. I said, what's that? He said, promise you will not send her back. I said, Mr. Wheeler, that's one promise I intend to keep. Now, what if he had said no? What if he would have said no? I would have proceeded very cautiously, and I very likely would have waited to work out whatever the problem was. If a man like him said no, that would have been something very serious to consider. Over the years of my life in ministry, I've seen many people get into trouble because they have ignored this. I've seen teenagers rebel against their parents and make huge mistakes harming their lives. I've seen young people marry the wrong person and end up in a very, very difficult marriage. I know employees who have mouthed off about the company and ended up losing their jobs. And I've seen pastors who would not respect other leaders within the church and therefore ended up dividing the church. And I've seen church members who disrupted their congregation because they opposed godly leaders. Now here is Ruth. She is a full-grown woman. She is capable of her own decisions. Yet she respects proper authority. And God is so pleased with that. That as we look at the rest of this chapter, everything is going to fall into place. This is how God works. Let me give you the third question that again comes out of the text. Third question we must ask is what do godly believers say? Did you notice down in verse 4 here of Ruth chapter 3? After giving her these instructions that look very strange to us, she says at the end of verse 4, when you are finished, he, Boaz, will tell you what to do. Did you notice this? She puts Ruth's entire future into his hands. And you say, why? Well, Boaz is a godly man. Naomi now has confidence because she has returned to faith and she has returned to believing that God will guide. She now has confidence that Boaz will recognize God's will. In fact, would you look down at verse 11 and notice something very significant? 
After uh, this conversation that takes place at the threshing floor, as Ruth does what Naomi asked her to do, look at verse 11. And now my daughter, says, says Boaz, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. That's identical in the original language to what Ruth said back in verse 5 when she said, I will do whatever you say. It's the same phrase. It's only one word difference. It's one word, five words here, identical to what Ruth said in verse 4, except for one word. Boaz recognizes the will of God as well. But I want you to notice there's something more here. God communicates His will to other believers. Keep your finger here for just a moment. And I want you to turn with me back to the book of Titus. And in Titus chapter 2, I want you to notice what instructions Paul gives to Titus that are very, very critical for any local church ministry. Look at what he says in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in the faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Now, notice the reason. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, you set them an example by doing what is good. And your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. One of the reasons that God gives to us godly older believers is to train us. Godly believers have wisdom and insight that God can use to direct us. Boaz was clearly a godly older man. In fact, would you go back to chapter 3 now and look at verse 10 and notice what he says to Ruth in verse 10. He says, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Boaz evidently was quite a bit older. He was a, a godly man. And now we see this principle that God would enable him to recognize the plan, embrace it, 
and affirm it? It is the third question. What do godly believers say about it? When I was preparing to go to seminary, I was fearful that I would not be able to afford going to the seminary that I wanted to go to. And so I was actually sort of withdrawing and, and planning not to go there. My father spoke up and he said, I will help you financially. I worked all my way through seminary, learned as much working as I did going to school, but he helped me financially. And then one day when I was struggling with this issue, I met a godly pastor in my town. When I told him my dilemma, he said to me, go. God will provide. And then there was an older couple in my church, and there was an older widow woman in my church. They took me under their wing and encouraged me. And when I was down in seminary, they regularly sent me checks to give me spending money. And they prayed And with those kind of godly people coming alongside of me, it became clear what God wanted me to do and the circumstances fell into place. You see, it was the third question. What do godly believers say? Perhaps you may notice here, in this incredible chapter, that we are being taught how to discern the will of God. That is really what is going on here. Whether I'm an individual and I want to know what is God's will for my life, whether I'm a church and we want to know what is God's direction for our congregation, we are being taught here how to discern God's will. And the pattern is very, very clear. It begins with Scripture. It is affirmed by God's authorities. It is affirmed by godly believers. And then always last, always last, the circumstances will fall into place because God is in it. And when God is in it, what's the principle? Where God guides, He provides. Where He leads, He meets And let's say together this morning, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's bow our hearts together. Lord,
thank you for being a God who wants us to get it right. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a Bible that is so down to earth and is so practical. And thank you, Lord, that you desire that we know and do your will even more than we do. And you are the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And you can sell some of them and to help us to meet the need. But Lord, as your word says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards him. And Lord, you lay down conditions because this is your plan and this is for your glory and this is for the advancement of your kingdom and therefore we have to line up not with what we want to do but with what you want to do and so Lord if we will plan according to your will and the way that you have shown us how we can know your will, then in great peace and confidence, we can trust that you will guide us where you want us to be and you will provide our needs. As we are waiting upon the Lord this morning and and just quiet before Him. Maybe there are some of us today who can recognize how we have failed to meet the conditions God has laid down. And maybe we have brought more turmoil and heartache into our life than God intended because we made our own plans and then expected Him to bless those plans. And if that's you today, God loves you. God sent His Son to die for you. And His Son rose again that you might have a relationship with Him. And He can cleanse you of your past. He can change your heart. He can renew a right spirit within you as David prayed. And He can take you forward from here. And sometimes the complications of our past waywardness cannot always be easily removed. But we can go forward from here 
to be the Ruth, to be the Boaz that God intended us to be. And so today, claim His forgiveness. Claim His cleansing. If there is somebody that you need to apologize to, by all means, do that. Maybe it's a parent you have to go back to. A while back, someone said to me, I've got to contact a pastor who's now in Ohio. And I've got to apologize because I was a part of a group that split the church. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it's a family member of some sort, or maybe even a boss, that you had the wrong spirit towards. Whoever it might be, take whatever steps, whether it's a phone call or a letter. I've had to write letters like that. So that you might have that removed. You have done what you should with God and you've done what you should with people. And then from this day forward, go forward, planning in the will of God as Scripture reveals. Father, encourage our hearts today. I pray that you would help me, Lord. I'm so stirred by what I have learned from your word. And I have seen, Father, mistakes made over the years. And I pray that you would preserve me from these very kinds of mistakes. And I pray, Lord, that I would allow you, as you have so wonderfully done in the past, Continue to lead and guide in the future as I submissively and humbly wait upon you and your plan and your will. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your wonderful word and all that it does to teach us and mold us in your will and way. For Jesus' sake.